You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. We've been hearing, um, hearing a lot over the last number of weeks about surrender. Surrender. The word of the Lord over a house being a year of surrender. Look, if I can be really honest with you, the first time that I heard that spoken, I was like, oh, seriously? Isn't, it a, isn't there a different word? <laughs> Surrender is just so... <laughs> um, Surrender is so unappealing to the flesh. <laughs> Probably the best way to put it, unappealing to the flesh. But you know, I live with the sense that a word of God over our house, and when we say our house, we mean our church, our our house is Generation City Church, that a word over our house isn't just a word for us corporately, but it's a word for us individually. And I think sometimes we can get caught up in the fact, well, I don't receive that as a word from God for me, but, but I'm convinced that a word over the Lord, the 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 word of the Lord over our house is the word of the Lord for me. And I want to encourage you to open your heart up and ask God, God, what does a year of surrender look like for me? It's not just about what we do on Sunday and the theme of our preaching and the direction of our church, but it's for the individual. What does that mean for you as an individual, what does that mean for you and your marriage, your relationships, you and your family? Because I was squirming in my seat when I first heard it. But I know God's speaking and God's leading and God's directing. And we can either jump on board with where he's going and what he's doing, or we can get left behind. And I know I don't want to get left behind. I don't want to get left behind of what God's doing and what God is saying. Because we live in a world that is so focused on self. So focused on me, my, and I. So focused on what I get out of something. So focused on how it affects me, whether it's convenient for me. A couple of months ago, Pastor Margot spoke a word around selfie and she had the mirror up here and she took the selfies and she took the photos. But so often we can get so focused on self, self-centered, self-obsessed, self-focused. Yeah, you may find it very hard to believe, but there have been moments in my life where I've been very self-centered and very self-focused. I know it's very hard to believe, but it's true. It's true. Stops my wife. She has to live with me every day. <laughs> I remember... <laughs> I can't remember, I can't believe it. Some of the stories I tell you recently, I'm like, I can't believe I'm actually telling you this, but I'm actually telling you. I remember just before Sienna was born, I was working casually for the Commonwealth Bank and it was good, I enjoyed what I did. But just, Beck was heavily pregnant with Sienna, working heaps. By heaps, I mean heaps. And I just decided, let's back up a little bit. 
a couple of weeks went by and Beck would say to me, what, what's going on on Mondays? Why, why aren't you working on Mondays? Like, isn't there any work available on Mondays? And out of my mouth came this words, oh, I just don't feel like working on Monday. <laughs> I just don't feel like working on it. And she's there, she's looking at me, wanting to tear shreds off me, saying, I'm working six days a week and you don't feel like working on Monday? She's like heavily pregnant, and I'm just like, um, I don't feel like working on Monday. Text message comes through, no, <laughs> I don't want to work. I was happy to work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I was happy to drive to Nelson Bay or whatever I was doing at the time. But I didn't want to work Mondays. I was so focused on me, so fo- focused on what I wanted and how I felt. But I didn't want to work Mondays. Guys, if you're not working Mondays, you need to work Mondays. <laughs> it's, but it's... um. I was so focused on what I wanted, so focused on what I felt and what I needed that I was so focused on me that I wasn't even thinking about my wife. But it's so easy in the society that we live in to get so focused on us, so focused on me. Would you come with me in your Bible to Galatians 2? I've just got one verse this morning that I want to draw from you're giving it away Nev trying to build up the anticipation towards this one verse that I've got and there it is already, bang, that's gone hope you didn't see that (laughs) but Galatians 2 Galatians 2 Galatians 2 talks about this journey that Paul has gone on this realisation that it's not about him And as we come to verse 20 a verse that is spoken about a lot and if you've been around the church more than five minutes you would have heard this verse whatever church you have been in i have been crucified with christ i have been crucified with christ and i no longer live but christ lives in me the life i now live Hang on a minute. Didn't Paul just say, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live? Now, all of a sudden, Paul's saying about, talking about the life that he now lives. It's like, hang on a minute, Paul. Didn't you just say you've been crucified? Aren't you dead? And all of a sudden, you've decided to tell us about the life that you're now living? I don't know about you, but there's not a lot of breath in a dead man's lungs. It's not the ability to move forward. But here's Paul unraveling one of the paradoxes of the Christian faith. They seem like polar opposites, but they make complete sense. No longer I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. The life I now live. Now, you know, for so many of us, the life that we now live is still the life that we lived before Christ. Hello? The life that we now live, the life that we now live, I've been crucified with Christ, the life I now live. 
talks about in response to being crucified with Christ. It's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me, the life I now live. But for so many of us, the life that we now live on the other side of receiving Christ is still the same as the life that we live before we received Christ. We're so, we're so stuck in the comfort and the convenience of what we once did and how we once lived. That the life we once lived and the life we now live has become so murky. And so unclear. We're still happy to go out on a Saturday night and get smashed. Still happy to jump into bed with our boyfriend or our girlfriend. We're still happy to get baked. Because there's no difference. There's no difference. Because if we have truly aligned ourselves with what it means to be crucified crucified with Christ. Paul's saying, I've identified with him in his death. And I no longer live. But for too many of us, me included, me included, the no longer I actually says, No longer as much as I. It's still a fair bit of me. Doesn't say no longer 50% of me, but no longer I. But Christ who lives in me. As a receiver of the grace, I just keep coming back to Colossians 2. Paul says to the Colossians, he says, Therefore, having received Christ, continue. Continue. But so many of us stop. And I've received Christ. I've got my ticket to heaven. I don't need to worry about changing my life. I can do what I want to do right now. I've received Christ. But that's not where the verse finishes. Continue. Continue to live in him, allowing yourself to be rooted and established and built up in him. But for so many of us, we're happy to have received. Whereas we're being called to crucify our, our old self. Crucify our sinful nature and our sinful desires. The Christ who lives in me. Sorry, we've kind of got off to a really heavy start straight out of the blocks. But I tell you what, I, I felt God just drop this verse into my lap as I was reading, as I was thinking and processing, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to share? Just this one verse, Joel. So often we can skip over the one verse and not mine out what God wants to show us and what God wants to say to us. We're so busy to make sure we tick that little circle on you version to make sure that we've read that chapter for the day when God wants to say so much to us out of one verse. Well, let's just look for a moment at that word crucified. From my interpretation of the Bible, when Jesus was crucified, it didn't happen straight away. It wasn't, and he was gone. 
But he hung on that cross in anguish. With shame heaped and piled upon him. We're happy to say I've been crucified with Christ as lip service. But our life shows anything but a crucified life. It's all about our comfort and it's all about our convenience and what's best for me. Crucifixion wasn't something that just happened in a moment. But when was the last time the gospel made you uncomfortable? When was the last time that it made you uncomfortable? That you had, the, uh, that you had a heaviness in your heart and in your mind at what Christ actually did for us? Are we happy to just come along and with arms held high? Or have we truly identified with him? But as that verse goes on, it says, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I now live as a crucified, dead man. I love how Paul uses that word dead. Because we're not lost people. We're not bad people. We're dead people. And dead people cannot do anything for themselves. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need him and what he did for us. But as we embark together, as we embark together on the surrendered life, it still makes me uncomfortable to even think about it. I'm just being honest. Maybe for the rest of us, surrender is an easy topic. But for me and the elements of my flesh that are still in me, there's a heck of a lot of them. It's uncomfortable because it rages against everything that society screams at us every moment of every day. But for us that are embarking on the surrendered life, the surrendered life is a life of faith. When we've identified with Christ, when we've identified with his crucifixion, that it's no longer us, but Christ in us. Paul says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith. The surrendered life is a life of faith. In 2008, I completed some studies in the financial planning field. I'd been working in the bank a few months and I decided, you know what, I'm really liking what the financial planners are doing and how they, what they get to do, what they get to be part of. I thought, you know what, I, I, I think I would really like to pursue that. So I did my studies and 2008, the back part, 
Anyway, as I finished my studies, I wasn't able to get a start anywhere. It didn't matter that I'd completed my first four modules and had what I needed on paper to be able to do it. I just could not get a start anywhere. And it was frustrating. I put this effort and this time, I'd taken unpaid leave from work to complete these qualifications. And the doors were just not opening. They just wouldn't open. And then as we know, the GFC then took um, full effect and the employment freezes across the financial sector, thinking maybe it'll never happen. We need people with experience. Well, how do you expect me to get experience if I don't get a go? I know that's the problem for so many people today looking for work. They've got the piece of paper, but they haven't got the experience. The beginning of 2010, end of 2009, early 2010, the first internship intake was taking place. And I felt for a number of years that my life was leading me down a path that would lead to what I'm doing now, being a part of ministry in a church in a full-time capacity. I thought the internship's coming. I want to be part of this. I want to do this journey. I want to... I'm thinking, okay, this is the next step on pursuing what I believe God has for my life. And then just this sense that the timing's not right. And I'm thinking, okay, I really wanted to do it. And only a couple of weeks before it's about to start, I pulled the pin. And I'm thinking, God, what is going on? This is what I want to pursue but I feel like I'm just going to be so far behind. Just going, okay, God, whatever you want to do. And at that time, I was just working casually with the bank. But within a matter of weeks, an opportunity for me to use the qualification that I'd received 18 months ago presented itself. And I was able to work within the Commonwealth Bank in that. And I worked there for about five years. It was a great place for me to work. It was a great bunch of people. But God just opened the doors. And to think that I am standing here now doing what I get to do and be a part of what I get to be a part of. Back then, sure as heck, seemed a heck of a long way away. But when we surrender ourselves and we go, God, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do, because the surrendered life is a life of faith. I was able to work with the bank and work with a great bunch of people. And then I'd been there a couple of years and the opportunity came up for me to be on staff here in a part-time capacity and the bank was so good at allowing me to work for them a few days a week and work for the church a few days a week. I couldn't have engineered that. But God, in his timing and in his way, when we just allow ourselves to trust him, he's able to work. 
But the surrendered life is a life of faith. Did I know back then that I would be here talking to you today? Not at all. It felt a long way away. But when we trust him, when we trust him, we lead not on, lead not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him. He makes our paths straight. The surrendered life is more about what God is doing in me than what God is doing through me. When we enable God to work in us, he's able to do a work within us that he can then work through us. You know, when a seed is planted, when a seed is planted, before there's fruit, there has to be roots. There has to be roots before there is fruit. But roots are under the surface. Roots aren't seen. But when we plant the seed, we've got to trust God and surrender ourselves to Him. If you want to live the surrendered life, We've got to know it's a journey of faith. It's a life of faith. And I tell you what, there are so many people in this room this morning who could tell you a way better story than I did about what it means to surrender, about what it means to lay down, about what it means to trust God and walk and live by faith. But it looks different for each one of us. It looks different for each one of us. Romans 12:11 says don't burn out in the message keep yourself fueled and aflame keep yourselves fueled and aflame I went to America a few years ago and coming back from the US we flew on the A380, the big jumbo. Well, it's not a jumbo, it's, probably, it's bigger than a jumbo. But this gigantic plane that had only been out for a couple of years. An A380 has the ability to carry 310,000 litres of fuel and can travel just under 15,000 kilometres. On one tank. But when that plane lands, it has to be refueled in order to keep going. It has to be re it can't fly all the way to America or all the way to Australia from America and fly back without being refueled. And what I want to talk to you about in the last few moments that we have together this morning is what fuels the surrendered life. What fuels the surrendered life? See, fuel is a material that is burned to produce power. And Paul says in Romans 12, he says, Keep yourself fueled and aflame. 
We know that if we, well, I'm learning that if you want your car to go anywhere, it needs to be fueled. I'm learning. I have not run out of fuel since the last time we spoke. I haven't. I haven't run out of fuel. But we need to remember to put fuel in our car. We need to remember to fuel our phone on the charger. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to use it and we're not going to be going anywhere. In the same way, we need to ensure that we keep fueling the surrendered life. It's not just going to be filled up once and that's it. But what fuels the surrendered life? The back part of Galatians 2 that we read just before, it says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you notice when you read this verse, it's very personal. Paul doesn't say, we have been crucified with Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. It's so personal with the use of the words like I, me. Paul had a personal revelation. Of what Christ had done for him. And that revelation fueled him. That revelation fueled what he did, where he went. But so often we think, well, I've received Christ. I've received all the fuel and all the injection that I need. But we need to make sure we keep ourselves fueled and aflamed. But where do we get this revelation? Where, where do we get it from? We talk a lot about revelation. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 1. He says, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be upon you, that you would know him better. I can't give you a revelation. Pastor Marty can't give you a revelation. A revelation can only come from God. That's why Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, he said, Peter, blessed are you, Peter, because man hasn't revealed this revelation of who I am to you, but God has revealed this revelation to you. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, gosh, I wish God would hurry up and give me a revelation. I just wish I could get a revelation, but God's not giving me one. Have you positioned yourself to be able to receive a revelation? Because sometimes we can be so full of us, full of ourselves, full of me, full of I, that there's no room for God to even give us a revelation. Maybe you haven't opened your Bible. Maybe you come on a Sunday and the only time that you're here with God is for an hour and a half on a Sunday and that's it. You come back next week and you keep asking for a revelation then you walk out the door. Have nothing to do with God until next Sunday. But we've got to position ourselves with an open heart 
in God's word. Maybe as we're reading the word, we, we are, we're trying to tick a box to make sure we get our Bible in a year plan finished. But we're not taking the time to just sit and meditate and think about what it is that God's word is saying to us. Maybe we need to slow down, not be in such a rush. Had my time with God, had my time with God. Sometimes we come with our own agenda. God, this is how we're spending time together today. And if you don't like it, well, but a surrendered heart says, God, whatever you want, however you want this to happen. But it was Paul, Paul's revelation in Galatians 20, Galatians 2 verse 20, that fueled it. But what fuels the surrendered life? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. A revelation that God loves us will fuel the surrendered life. To think that the one who is asking us to lay down our life, to lay down what we have, isn't doing it so that we can live small and squashed, but is doing it from a place of loving us. The one who is asking us to surrender loves us with a love that will never ever be exhausted and never ever run out or dry up. We're not being asked to surrender to a God who wants nothing to do with us, who wants to push us down, who piles guilt and shame upon us. But a revelation that Christ loves us will keep the surrendered life fueled. Ephesians 3. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. This love that surpasses knowledge. We think we don't want to let go of what we have. But the one who is asking us to surrender, surrender our will, surrender what we want, is asking us to surrender what we have so that he can give us more, that he can give us better, more than we could even comprehend and understand. And right now, it may not feel like it's better. But when we have a revelation of how much God truly loves us, 
that he doesn't want harm for us. The plans and the purpose he has for us are to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us hope and a future. That's what fuels the surrendered life. Betty Stam. I'll talk more about her a little bit later. says, when we consecrate ourselves to God, we think we're making a big sacrifice and doing lots for him. When really we're only letting go some small bitsy trinkets we've been grabbing. And when our hands are empty, he fills them full of his treasures. We may not be able to understand it now. But God has something greater in store. We just need to trust that he loves us and only wants what's best for us. But if we haven't got a revelation of that love, a revelation that keeps being refueled, the surrendered life is going to be hard and it's not going to make sense. Live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. The second thing that fuels the surrendered life is the revelation that the one who is asking us to surrender, first surrendered for us. I love that Jesus doesn't say, come and surrender. Just do it. But he says, I surrendered for you. I surrendered for you. I've shown you first how to live a life of surrender. That he's not asking us to do something that he hasn't done for us already. Last Sunday morning, I I shared around communion from Luke 22, where Jesus is in the garden just before he's about to be arrested. He's saying, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible that I don't have to surrender myself to this, let it pass from me. But he says, but not my will, but your will be done. He's already surrendered for us. And when we think about what Paul says in Galatians 2, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, the revelation of his love, and gave himself for me. A revelation that the one who was asking me to surrender has already surrendered for me. If the creative guys would like to come back, that would be fantastic. The surrendered life needs to be refueled constantly. The surrendered life is a life of faith. But it needs to be fueled by the fact that God loves us and only wants the best for us. And fueled by the fact that the one who is asking us to surrender has already shown us the way of surrender by laying himself down for us. I was reading this week about a lady 
named Betty Stam. I don't know if you have heard of Betty Stam. But Betty Stam was born in February 1907. And her and her husband were missionaries in China. Betty lived the majority of her life in China with her parents. And when she was 18, she wrote to her parents and said, I don't know what God has in store for me. I really am willing to be an old maid missionary or an old maid anything else all my life if God wants me to. It's as clear as daylight to me that the only worthwhile life is one of unconditional surrender to God's will and of living in His way, trusting His love and guidance. It's as clear as daylight. Betty wrote that when she was 18. In December 1934, when Betty was 28 years old, her and her husband, John, were missionaries in China. And soldiers came, wanting to eradicate Western influence and Christianity. Betty and her husband John were captured. And they were led by these armed forces. One night they locked them in a room. Betty had free reign of this room to do what she wanted. And John, they tied to a a post standing up so he couldn't sleep or couldn't rest. The next morning, they were dragged through the town to be executed. And a man stepped out, objecting to what was taking place. And the soldier said to him, do you want to die as well? They captured him. They went through his house and they found a Bible and a hymn book. History says that this man that stepped out was a lukewarm Christian, but in that moment stepped out. On that day, the 8th of December, 1934, John and Betty were beheaded at the age of 28. That's where their life of surrender on this earth ended. That man who was a lukewarm Christian who stepped out, he too was executed in that same moment. But as Betty said, it's clear as daylight. It's clear as daylight that the only life is a life of unconditional surrender. But unless that life of surrender is constantly refueled, 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 with the revelation of how much he loves us and is fueled by the fact that the one that we are following surrendered first. 
going to be a hard journey. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never heard about this love. This love that surpasses knowledge. This love that makes no sense. This love that requires nothing of us in terms of earning it. But once we've received it, demands our life, demands our all in response to the love that was poured out for us. Maybe you've never heard about this God. Maybe you've never walked with him. But I would love to give you the opportunity this morning to take the first step on the path of getting to know God. This God who loves us unconditionally. This God who surrendered everything for us. If that's you this morning, I invite you to raise your hand. I invite you to raise your hand. Maybe here this morning and you've been walking with God and just all of a sudden just gone pear-shaped that you're not fueled in a flame. Your light's gone out. Perhaps you haven't even thought about God. Perhaps you've just walked away but let me tell you this morning that the same God that loves us with an unconditional love and laid down his life for us is into second chances he's into third chances he's into fourth chances he, he, he's into rebuilding renewing and restoring and it is never too late it is never too late his arms are always open wide he will never push you away. He will never discard you. If that's you this morning and you need a fresh start with God, I want to invite you to raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. I see that hand over there. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. every head is bowed and every eye is closed we're going to pray together the Bible says in Romans 10 that if we confess if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord we shall be saved I invite you to pray this prayer after me dear Jesus I thank you 
that you gave your life for me. That you took my place. I thank you that you took my punishment so that I could be reconnected with my Father in heaven. Right now, I accept what you did on the cross for me. I ask that you would wash me clean. Help me to live for you and all that you purchased for me. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of our pastors saw your hand this morning and they've got something that they would like to give you. But I think I want to just pray one more time. I don't need an indication of who wants to live the surrendered life. I think deep down within us, we all struggle with that. And I want to pray for us. Father, I thank you that you love us with such an everlasting love that will never, ever be extinguished, never, ever dry up. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to a fresh refueling of what you have done for us. That our life is simply a response to the love that you have for us and the fact that you gave everything up for us. I pray that you would enable us to comprehend in even the smallest measure what you've done. That it would fuel the surrendering of our hearts to what it is that you would have us do and where you would have us go. God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. I pray you would work in each heart. I thank you that you're not a God that's just a one-size-fits-all God. But I pray you would meet meet each one of us where we are at right now. In Jesus' name, amen.